left at this time. Uh, young people can make their way out to junior church. Uh, all right, Spencer, all right, good luck. All right, um, Philippians in your Bibles this morning, uh, Philippians chapter 4, and that's where we're going to be today, if I can find this myself, it's chapter 4, all right, hon, you said you want me to take my jacket off, all right, uh, I see I'm listening to you, mark it down, there's once, uh, for the year, um, I'm glad to have each of you here this morning, I can tell everybody seems a little bit tired, I want to go out there and give everybody a just, all right, all right, I'm up here now, I'm going to talk fast, so listen fast, is that good? Russ, you're here, right? Yeah, okay. About the same, about the same. Uh, many of you know, Jen and I have been gone for several weeks, uh, was here Wednesday night, enjoyed uh, teaching a little bit, showing you some slides, uh, a couple things, some missionary things that uh, we were able to see done while we were in the Caribbean with uh, Rita and Eddie Arendelle, our missionaries to St. Thomas, and had a great time there. But uh, every year when we are privileged to go away for uh, an extended amount of time, uh, it's very important for Jen and I's personal relationship, our marriage. And it's also really important for our time here at the church. It allows me and her, us, to set some things aside that we normally deal with and uh, not only focus first on our walk with God, but also each other. And then gives me a little more time to kind of disconnect a little bit and then see things a little, uh, from a little bit different perspective, even regarding the church. So this morning, I uh, entitled this morning's message, A Must Listen for Odd Baptists. A Must Listen for Odd Baptists. Uh, the reason I say that is that many years when I go, God will tell me several things that are kind of, oh, you need this, this, this. This year, just one thing. You know, just one thing. So I don't even have an outline. You know, Al- Allie's out this morning, so I, but, you know, Danny has it easy this morning. You're not much an outline. One, one thing. Now, I began back in, in, in January uh, sharing with you my personal theme for this year, which is going to be the idea of sufficient grace out of Second Corinthians, that my grace, God says, my grace is always sufficient. And I shared with some of you, I saw it maybe on Facebook, but I thought I'd remind you the picture. Um, it, it's on my bulletin board in my office, and this one Kathy Bell drew for me that Sunday that I preached that message. Uh, one of our young people was back there doing artwork and has a picture. I think it's a really good picture of me, by the way, too. And the orange carpeting there and the Christmas tree up and the PowerPoint up there that says sufficient grace. And, and I appreciate Kathy Bell making that uh, giving me a help to remind me of that uh, throughout this year. You know, sometimes it's a challenge for we as human beings to accept God's grace. Uh, even today, theologically, there are many that propose that grace is not enough. Um, some folks challenged, are challenged with the idea that if God knows everything, which he does, and he knows all my past and all my flaws, there's no way that God's grace could help me. And I'm so glad that I can tell you, you know, whether you feel it or not, the scriptures is really clear that in Romans 5, 8, God commendeth or demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, bad sinners, wicked sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. And it's really very, very simple. The Bible says in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have, present tense, everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, 
but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See, salvation is very, very simple. Belief in Jesus Christ for everlasting life. It's really, really simple. Jesus died for your sin on a cross, took it upon himself, shed his blood, was a satisfactory atonement and a sacrifice before a holy God, and then he rose again to show that he conquered that sin and death and now offers you and I and whosoever will eternal life if we'll simply believe him for it. That's grace. And even as a Christian, which I know this morning most of you are here are Christians and most of you are odd Baptists. Now, if you're watching this morning, say, well, I'm not an odd Baptist, so I don't have to listen to this. Yeah, maybe you're right. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. But I think it's pretty good for pretty much anybody who's listening. And I am glad the gospel message is not just for odd Baptists. Matter of fact, technically speaking, you really can't become an odd Baptist until you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. But Christians, we challenge living in grace as well. We've been positionally put in grace. But now we need to practically live in that grace. And that can be a challenge. I will tell you that Satan wants to remove the Christian from living in grace and get you to start living your Christian life in law or in hypocrisy or in bitterness. He's happy any one of those kind of things that you and I might adopt as our way of life instead of living in the position of grace that I need God every single day and he alone he alone is the source of my strength. See, I want our church to be a place of grace. That's why our DNA, and we're going to talk a little bit about our DNA this morning. I, I never want to get too far away from that. Our uh, DNA, most of you uh, can see the, the slide up there, you know, a great grace and global missions and genuine family. And those three things are the core elements about what our church is about and the reason adopting those so many years ago has been so significant is because the reality is that life changes and the church is a living organism and this local body goes through some changes sometimes we're fighting off some diseases <laughs> that's pretty funny I think it's pretty funny um, Russ uh, what's wrong with the church oh, we got Russ gotten disease um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, DT, I didn't even, I didn't even go there. You're, that was too easy. That was low-hanging fruit for you there. Um, it's, it's fine. The, the bottom line is the church is, it goes through changes. And one of the things that I am certain of is I, last several weeks, thought about some things and prayed and talked to God and just got a perspective is this, this last year or two, our church is certainly in a particular season of change. It just is. You say, well, why is that? Well, a lot of things uh, can contribute to that, but the bottom line is a church is a living organism, but um, the Lord has allowed Jenny and I to be here serving for a long time. I guess if you call 15 years a long time, uh, if you've been married, oh, 16, excuse me. I'm, see, I'm right now, 16 years. This is 16. This actually is 16. Actually, today begins our 16th year. Now, you know, we voted in back in December 16 years ago, but this was the first Sunday. I know. I can tell it means a lot to you. See? Thank you very much. I'm very, very touched by that. Now you're like, oh, who cares? Um, okay. um, we've been here long enough. You've been married 16 years? Then I equate that, all right? Um, and we've been here long enough that some of the folks that were here with us 
and were very, very influential on helping this church even survive 16 years ago. Some of them are not even here on earth with us, but they're now in heaven with the Lord. Some have moved away because of career issues where we've had families that have made a big input and imprint on our ministry and then the, the needs of their family and their career move them to different locations. It, it, it happens. Some, because again, we've been here long enough, there are many of us in here this morning that 16 years ago uh, you were here, but we were capable and less capable in differing areas because all of us are different in some measure than we were 16 years ago. Most of us, like now, Michael Bryant, you don't count. You're one that can still do what you did 16 years ago, just a little bit slower, but you can still do it. Unlike me and Brock we, and DT, we, we just can't do it anymore, you know, so you're, you're probably the hero, but, you know, I, I can't do the things that I could do 16 years ago. We as a military church, if you're watching online, we, we are located near a military base, an Air Force base, and I was praying there were no balloons flying overhead this morning. <laughs> I know a few F-16s that could use some, some target practice, amen? Um, about time, uh, I, don't, I don't even go there, I won't even go there this morning, all right, on that one, we'll let that go, but we have a lot of military families that come, and unfortunately they go. This week was difficult to say goodbye to Kaylee and James Michael and, of course, Brian's already in deployed and Johnny's now deployed and Autumn will be transitioning out here from next several months. And it's the way of life in a military church. But it always brings with it an, an element of change. Some folks aren't here this morning because they quit. Nothing is more discouraging to a pastor than seeing, for one reason or another, someone get disgruntled or away from their walk with God and they quit. Um, there, there are valid reasons for folks to leave a church and go to another one. But, you know, without being overly judgmental because every, there could be an amazing circumstance, but those folks that are finding different churches every two or three years, let me, let me suggest the problem's not the church. It, it hurts, though. And one of the things I've learned being a pastor for all these years is that the church suffers as a whole in a in a unique way when we grieve, when we, for example, say goodbye to, you know, Kaylee this week. It hurts. And I don't know about you, but my life is influenced and been strongly molded through the entirety of the 50-some years I've been on this planet through some of the great pains of my life. We respond to that. But all these changes come in on a, on a church, and I believe that we have been, and I don't know how long the season will last, I, I don't know, but I just believe and have sensed, we're a little bit season of a change. This is why the DNA is so important. 
You see, the DNA reminds us, and I, if you're new here, I, I want you to get to know the, the DNA very, very well uh, of what it means in, in very brief. So if someone says, hey, what's your church about? Well, it's about three things. It's about uh, great grace. At our church, we believe in the, in, that the Bible teaches that the gift of God, the salvation that can get you to heaven is a literal, true, actual, free gift. That grace is not the for the chosen elect, quote-unquote, but that God's grace is so great that it's available to everyone who will receive it legitimately and that no matter where you find yourself this morning in your walk, in your personal life, no matter what kind of mess you are, whatever kind of, maybe you're in some kind of addiction, maybe whatever, whatever mess your life might be in, that God's grace is big enough and great enough to save and reach even you. And I know that many of you, uh, and in your day-to-day life, that, you know, thinking about theology and does that, you know, blah, blah, blah. I, I, without, again, I'm trying to be overdramatic here this morning, but I am going to tell you that the number of churches that are boldly proclaiming that salvation is a free gift. In other words, there are no strings before you receive it, and there are no strings after you receive it. If you add requirements on either side, it's no longer free. It's not a gift anymore. And here is the reality. I know this is not your deal, but it is mine. And I will tell you that you could visit every church in this town and there'd be very few. Praise God, there are a couple others, but there are very few that are going to give you that message. They're going to tell you something like this. Well, if you really mean it enough, and if you really, really, really mean it, and if you're really, really willing to repent from all your sins and stop doing your bad things, well, then, maybe just then, you'll get God's gift. That is the dominant theology of our day on the radio, on the TV. And it is not what John 3.16 says. It is not what Romans 5 says. And I understand different words mean different things in their context, but I'm fairly confident that throughout the scriptures, when Jesus said in John chapter 4 to the woman at the well, you would ask me and I'd have given you the free gift of God, that when he said free, he meant free. And our DNA, great grace, is about the free gift of salvation. Then we're about global missions, that a priority at our church is, is the focus and emphasis on both home and foreign missions, and not just talking about it, and not just saying, well, prayer you know, alone, which prayer is a significant part. I certainly don't want to diminish that. But that also we put feet to our faith that we interact with our missionaries, that we step out in faith and, and believe that we can be used of God to, to, to build a, an orphanage in Nigeria or a, 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 an education center in the middle of the cemetery in Manila, Philippines to invest financially in ways that really most would say don't make sense. We also believe in genuine family And by that, we mean that the discipleship of an individual takes place best in the context of family, which is why our desire is to empower men who are married to lead their homes, wives to be empowered to be the women of God that God's called them to be. If you're a single person here to serve God 
in the context of your biological family and then from that family into the church family. And I believe that those interactions that you have every day with your biological family combined with your church family is how discipleship is done. And let me go on a limb here and say this morning, how, how beautiful is your family? You say, well, that depends if you catch us at a good time or a bad time. Sometimes it's a beautiful thing on Picture Sunday. Other times, when your wife forgot to refill the, some element of some necessity at the house, maybe not as cute when you're arguing. You never do that, right? You never get mad at anybody in your family. It, it goes through those conflicts and the different things are why and how discipleship is done. And that's what Open Door ought to be, and we as a church family many years ago agreed, we want to be about great grace, global missions, and genuine family. Now this morning, I know I've had a really long introduction, but hang on, it ain't over. One of my favorite churches in all the Bible in the era of grace is the church at Philippi. It's also known as the church at Macedonia. We are told about this church in 2 Corinthians. This was a church that was very missions-hearted. They were poor, and yet they gave, and, and the Bible says that God's power was on them, that they gave beyond their ability, which is a God thing and a grace thing. We know in 2 Corinthians that their giving was a grace-giving, so they were a grace-centered church. They were a loving church. God's Word has so many positive things to say about them. Matter of fact, so much so that the Holy Spirit, through the agency of the Apostle Paul, the penmanship of him, wrote a letter to the church at Philippi, what we know as the book of Philippians, where you should be turned this morning to Philippians chapter 4. The Bible says, and when Paul wrote this, we know that Paul was in a Roman prison cell. He was not, unlike Jen and I, on a cruise ship. He was in a prison cell. And yet, most of you here this morning know the theme of the book of Philippians is joy, Right? Matter of fact, in the very beginning of the letter, Paul says to them in chapter number one, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy. Paul said when he thought about them, it brought him joy. Every time. I wish I could tell you that every time I thought of every single one of you, it brought me joy. <laughs> hey, I'm in the pulpit, I gotta be honest. But I will tell you that that's the dominant thought in my mind and when I'm on the cruise ship after about two weeks <laughs> Jenny will tell you I'm, I'm, I'm looking for this after about two weeks and I'm looking for you guys I, I love them I love you Paul wrote this letter dealing with the issue of joy undergirded by a church that was full of grace you know a church that is full of grace is also full of joy that's KCS quote for this morning. A church that's full of grace is also full of joy. When there's no grace, there's no joy. And when there's no joy, there's no grace. I, I had somebody tell me once upon a time some years ago that they, they had visited or attended our church for a while. They were in the area and then they went, uh, moved away. And they told me, they said, well, they said, you know, you're, the church there is just a happy church. And I want to be a happy church, don't you? The only way it's going to be a happy church is if I'm happy and you're happy. Are you happy? And they say, oh, not really. Well, you're honest. I'll, I'll give you that. You see, during times of change and new relationships, those are times where joy can be lost, where peace can be lost. And so in this wonderful letter of Philippians, Paul deals with what he knows 
could destroy this very powerfully used church. And we find the story in uh, Philippians chapter number 4 and verse number 1. Therefore, in light of all I've said, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Now he goes on in verse number 2 and deals with a problem. I beseech Euodia and Suntuke that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Now Paul begins this last part of his letter by reminding all the believers there that he loved him. As I just mentioned to you, and I will tell you again, I love this church. I have loved this church since the day really when we walked in here 16 years ago. Uh, and it, you know, the, from the orange carpeting to whatever, I just you know, the, the people that were here, the, the few that were here, and we just began. And as this church has grown, I think my wife, my family tell you, I love this place. I love coming over here sometimes at night. None of the lights are on. I love coming in after I've been gone a long time. And our church has a particular odor of it. It's like 60 years of Christians smell um, combined with IPA. Um, that's our paper mill. You know, everybody goes, oh, it stinks. And I always, you know, what, I, what my line every time, every time somebody tells me the paper mill stinks, I say it smells like jobs to me. It's what it smells like to me. It smells like jobs. Um, but I love this place and I love you. Just as Paul said, they were his joy and the crown of his rejoicing. And I can tell you as a pastor, that is very much my heart. He tells them to stand fast. And then he says, my dearly beloved, do you feel the love? In verse number one of chapter four. Now, why does Paul say this so clearly? Because he knows verse two is coming. He calls out two women in the church. And by the way, I've always pronounced their names differently. And I was studying this week. I said, you know, I'm, I, I, my father helped pay for me to go to school. And I went to school these years to learn Greek. I'm going to go back. Let's go back to the Greek and try to pronounce these poor ladies' names the way in Greek that it'd be pronounced. So I don't know how you pronounce them. And that's fine. You can do you however you want to do it. And I may probably mess it up and divert to my old way. But as best I can tell it, uh, and I do like the Greek language, uh, euodia, is, is how you spell Yodius. That's how I used to say it, but I think Uodia is probably the correct pronunciation. And Suntuke, Suntuke, these two ladies, however you want to pronounce their name, these two women, two individuals, were causing division in the entire church. Don't underestimate the power you have as one individual to cause a whole lot of problems. I thought about handing out mirrors this morning and saying, who's the biggest danger to this church? Hold up a mirror, myself included. Because Paul said, in this flesh dwelleth no good thing. And I can tell you, that's the truth. And these two ladies, can you imagine when this letter was sent to the church of Philippi, this was read publicly. <laughs> church today, oh, that offends me. Pastor said something. Now, you know, I, I'm not into one of these pastors that calls out people from the pulpit. Please, please, please. Those guys need to get a grip. But I will say, these two ladies, Paul writes them in the letter, and now here we are, thousands of years later, and we're still talking about them. What, are they, what is it they're known for? They're known for bickering with one another and causing division in a great church. My encouragement this morning is when you get to heaven, don't be found as one of the people that all you're known for was bickering and causing division in the church. Hmm. That's why, did you notice in verse number two, Paul says twice, I beg you, Euodia, and I beg you, Suntuke, I beg you each, 
have the same mind of the Lord. You ever begged anybody for anything? You know, I don't think most Christians beg God in terms of keeping peace inside a church is because they don't value it all that much. I, I understand people have to do it, people have to do, but I know one thing, I don't want to get to heaven and find out that I was one of the reasons that a church suffered and was made more ineffective. I don't want to get to heaven even worse yet than those that start somewhere and they get connected to a church and I find today people don't want to be committed. Oh no, you know, we, there's always a reason to keep a hand's length away. Now, I understand if you've been in our church, I don't push membership. I doubt any of you have ever heard from me. I don't know if I've ever said publicly, hey, you need to pray about becoming a member of this church. Now, I say that individually to a lot of people, but we don't push that around here. You know, one of the, you say, why not? Well, one of the reasons is there's a lot of churches, my Southern Baptist friends, they love to have their church role. God bless them for their church role. And if you ask them how many people go to their church, they'll tell you how many people are on their church role. Well, I learned when I got down here, I don't care how many people are on your church role. I want to know how many people actually come. How many people are actually giving financially to help you accomplish the mission that you all say you're called to accomplish? How, how many people are saying, well, I'll give them my time. But what a bummer to go that far and say, I'll show up. But then when you show up, you act like Euodia or Suntake, and all you are is a bickerer or somebody that causes division. As I sat on the water in the middle of the Caribbean, oh, it's beautiful. The waves going by and sunsets coming out. It's just gorgeous. And I would think and pray about what God would have for us to do here at this church this next, next coming year. I have had a particularly strong impression on my spirit that Satan is working really hard right now to destroy us. Now, I understand that he always is trying to do that, but I, I sense that in, in a more strong way, he is bringing satanic attack upon our ministry. I, I can only imagine that is because we've been privileged to reach some people this year and, and in through our missions program in particular, uh, which I'll share with you next week, so come back next week, uh, what God is doing in our missions program around the world is staggering. It, it really is. I... I, I I, who am a guy who like big things and always thinking bigger, I, 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 I'm, my mind is, boof. I've been telling Jenny, I said, I cannot, Satan knows that it is churches like this one that are involved in global missions that need to be destroyed just like the church at Philippi. And you and I, this morning, I want to challenge each of us to be committed to be a person of grace that produces peace. Paul would later say in verse number 7, in the peace of God, that, that he gets back around and he deals with these two ladies and with this church. He said, the goal is that the peace of God would abide in your hearts. And he had mentioned to them that they are to be single-minded. Stand fast in the Lord and be this one mind. Remember in verse chapter 2, verse number 5, he said, let the mind of Christ dwell in you. The same mind. What mind was that? The mind of Christ in chapter 2, it was a submitted mind. It was a servant mind. It was a secure mind. 
And if you're going to make it and be a person of peace, you must adopt the mind of Christ. And as brothers and sisters, as fellow odd Baptists, I challenge us to adopt and with intentionality, Holy Spirit of God, produce the mind of Christ in me. How is that demonstrated? How do I know if the mind of Christ is dominant in my life? I can tell you you're going to be a person of submission. You don't have to have it your way all the time. You're going to be a person of servanthood. Like the Lord Jesus, who God from all eternity took upon himself flesh and walked among us and was beaten and mistreated and said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. Paul also mentions in, the, in his letter that the mind of Christ is a secure mind, that Christ, though he humbled himself, he knew who he was. Christ was not the Lord Jesus was not insecure when the Pharisees attacked him. He didn't run in a corner and say, oh, who am I? Do I have, you know, maybe I'm not all, yet. he was secure in who he was. And I'm telling you, until you and I get comfortable with who God made you to be, you'll never have that kind of security. And when you try to serve God in insecurity, every criticism you get, every problem that comes along the way, you quit. We have to have the mind of Christ. That mind, when we are submitted, serving, and secure, can bring a peace. I'm not going to promise you no problems. I'm going to promise you this morning, as long as you live in this life, there will be problems. There will be hurt. But this morning, what I'm challenging each of us this morning is I, I want to challenge us with intentionality to recognize this year, whatever goes on in open door, I don't know what lies ahead, God does, but would you be committed to be a peacemaker? What is it that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the children of God. They look like the children of God, peacemakers. Psalm 34, 14, depart from evil, do good, seek peace and pursue it. Romans 12, 18, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Let us therefore, Romans 14, 19, follow after the things which make for peace, the things which may edify one another. How about James chapter 3, the, the, the chapter on the mouth, the tongue. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then what? Peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Mm. Do you think I've proven my case that God expects the believer to be a peacemaker? I think I've theologically case proved. We are to be peacemakers. It begins in each individual as we accept and make peace with God. First in our salvation, receiving that free gift simply by faith, not by works. Romans 5.1 lays this out very, very clearly. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Have peace in here. Then that peace is I'm in here and I yield to the Holy Spirit of God. And as God begins to change my life, no, none of us are perfect. All of us still live inside this flesh that demands its attention. And at times we give in, every one of us. But as a pattern of life, if we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, one of the telltale marks, according to Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. If you don't have peace and there's no joy and there's no love and no long-suffering and no gentleness, no goodness, no faith, what are we doing? 
You see, as God produces fruit in me and it reveals itself as peace, then I'm able now to be a peacemaker. See, if you try to make peace on your own through your own power and your own strength and out of your own flesh, (laughs) good luck with that. It's hard. Why is it so hard? Because people tick me off. That's why. (laughs) You might live by yourself and you might tick yourself off. I don't know. Um, But I guarantee you, all we got to do is drive from here to... You know, to Longhorn, and uh, well, I don't usually get mad going to Longhorn because I know I'm going to Longhorn, but let's uh, go in here to Olive Garden. I could get mad real easily. You see, when the peace is in here and I have peace with God and I'm serving and I'm submitted and I'm secure, and then that peace, if, if it's in here and it's being produced by the Holy Spirit of God and it's producing fruit that's coming out, that fruit's going to impact other people around me. It's going to impact other people. I'd ask, you know, maybe beginning if you're married in your marriage and your family, you know, I'd ask you, is your home a place of peace? No outside answers on that, all right? No, no show of hands. Is your home a place of peace? I have been blessed to be married for... I got, my, I got this wrong. got this anniversary wrong. I better not get this one wrong. 35 years? 35 years. I've been, I, how about that? Like my confidence in my answer there? <laughs> 35 years? Um, 35 years. And there have been battles and there have been wars, but I have tried, not between us. <laughs> we were fine until the kids came along. It was fine until then. Um, but I would like to think and I would be honored and I believe my wife if you want to ask her would tell you that as a way of life we lived in our home was a place of peace Um, you say and I know someone's thinking this so I'm going to go there because I know you're already thinking it because I've heard this, and there's, true, there's some truth in what I'm about to say. Some of you are going to say, and I'm sorry, boy, I'm going to go a little long this morning. Be a little long, not, not much. I've been gone. What can I say? Some of you are going to say, well, the only reason there's peace in our house is because I'm always the one that gives in. That's why there's peace in our house. But you don't really have peace. You're, you're making peace, and there's times I, great, I admire some of the folks that I encounter that are in a very difficult marriage for differing reasons, and one of the people's decided I'm just not going to cause the problems, and there's, there's certainly some, some uh, reward in that, and I think as the Holy Spirit calls in the different circumstances, sometimes that's what you have to do is say, I'm not going to fight because it takes two people to fight. However, I do not want you to leave this morning with the idea that that is just in of itself is just the way that peace always is achieved. Peace at any price. The problem with America today and our administration today apparently has a policy that we want peace at any price. No. There are some things worth fighting for. That's why the verse I read to you is as much as it is possible live peaceably with all men. That means there are times it's not possible. And some churches, the reason they don't have peace is they won't fight over anything. Here, as long by the grace of God, he lets me be here, and most of you have known me for 16 years, know my personality type. I'm like that Yorkie. 
do not mess with me. I am not afraid to take charge. I am not afraid to take responsibility. You say, why? Same reason our house had a lot of peace. Kids came to the point they know if they're going to make their mom mad, at some point, if it got in, it made me mad, bad news for them. Mama doesn't need to be mad. I do not want your mother mad. Don't make your mother mad. You make your mother mad, it messes up my world. You know, I'm watching my college football. Leave me alone. Now you've made your mother mad. Now you made me mad. So the reason there was peace in our house, because the kids knew I was going to have peace in the house. Is that simple? Yeah, it's that simple. It is. Now, if you have no control over yourself and you fly off the handle all the time and you can't show and demonstrate to your kids how to manage your own emotions, don't think that if you fly off the handle all the time, screaming at them all the time, that, that they're somehow going to just say, oh, I guess I'll act like dad. They're acting like dad. But there is a way with a strong, quiet, controlled spirit to say, it's not happening, Junior. And a church needs to be a place of peace and sometimes there are things worth fighting for. But you know when disagreements comes when the Euodias and the Suntikis bring up the problems boy it can get out of hand. You know one of the things I've learned a great truth of scripture Psalm 119, 165 Great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. It's one of my favorite scripture verses of all time and I'll tell you as a, in the ministry, if you cannot adopt that verse as one of your theme verses, you will not make it in full-time ministry. Full-time ministry is defined by wounds and scars. I, I, I got one this morning, before, just, just before we started this morning. Rejection. Hurt. And then, I'm, go Preach. Bless God, I am. <laughs> because I got to love God. I have to love His truth more than I love the hurt. I, I don't want you to miss that. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. How you make it in a church long term is loving God and loving truth more than the hurt. If you have a biological family that no hurtful words are ever said, then you're exempted from this. But life is us hurting one another and family tends to be one of the primary sources. No different in a church. No different. Let our love outweigh our offense. That's why Paul would later go on and write very familiar verses. He goes on in verse 4 to tell, after he said these two women that are fighting and division in the church, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You ever real happy after you had been in a big argument? Rejoice. And he says, let your moderation, your self-control be known unto all men, for the Lord is at hand. You know, believers who are trying to live in the Spirit know when divisions come, remember the Lord is watching and let people know you're Spirit-filled by your self-control. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Tell God about your division, your, your opposition to some issue. And then he says, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. See, there's peace. At the end of it all, there's peace. This morning as I stop, I, I just want to encourage each of us don't forget that if Satan, he knows if he can destroy your single-mindedness, the mind of Christ, 
then he can destroy your peace. And if you're a person of no peace, you know what people with no peace tend to do? They tend to take it with them everywhere they go. Ever been in a big argument with your other half right before church? No, I don't need any hands on that this morning. Somebody, I've, No, I was not in your car on the way over here. I do not have any, any, any cameras or spy equipment uh, located anywhere that I'm aware of. Uh, but have you ever been in a big argument with your wife right before church? You know, you're getting ready to leave the house. Something comes up. All of a sudden, boom, the, the thing's on, and there's yelling and screaming. And, and most of us will quit right there and say, well, I'm not even going to bother going to church. I'm not in the mood to go to church. I'm not in the spirit to go to church, so we don't go to church. I don't want to go to church and be a hypocrite. Heard that one. So instead, we stay home and sulk and fight even more. As opposed to where you need to be is exactly where Satan doesn't want you to be at church. Hearing the word of God and dealing with issues. But sometimes it's required you come into church with a smile on the outside with a raging monster on the inside. Anybody got that? From the time you get out of the car and you get in the front door and, and, you know, Russ or, uh, you know, one of these guys greets you at the door and says, oh, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Oh, it's good to see you this morning. You got a big smile on your face and on the inside. <laughs> right? Come on now. That, 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 if that's never happened to you, I guess you hadn't come to church but once when you were in a really good mood. I don't know. But, I, I, you know, I think all of us at a time for one reason or another you know, on your way, that you know, something breaks at the house or you get the call from that, whatever the issue is and you're all worked up and then you get in here and somebody says hi and you go, oh, I, you know, sometimes that's called character. You know, I have found many, many times when I have come to church when I didn't want to. You say, you're the pastor. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, sometimes I don't want to come. <sighs> but I'll get here and I find that usually the times that I really didn't want to be here are the times that God has the greatest blessing for me. I've just found that to be a pattern. But when I do come and I'm all worked up on the inside or I've been wounded, uh, can, I, can I give you something else to, to understand what's going to happen? Let me tell you what's going to happen. Even here at the best church in the world, here at Open Door Baptist Church, I'm telling you, probably this is going to happen. You're going to have a big argument with your wife out there. You're mad at your kid. Your child's done something that's really ticked you off, whatever. But you come in and you say hi to Russ and, oh, hi, hi. And you say hi, everybody, everything's going good. And you go to your place of service. Maybe you work in junior church. Maybe you're in a music ministry. Maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're a greeter. Maybe you're whatever. Maybe you're just coming to your church and you're trying to encourage people. And then, sure enough, when the monster's raging on the inside, that's when someone's going to say something dumb to you. That is when someone's going to wrong your child. That is when someone who said they were going to do something is going to fail to do it. That is when you're going to hear part of an information and you're going to create a suicide. You're going to fill in all the blanks because you know what that person really meant and you blah, 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 and it's going to go down into your heart and it's going to produce anger. And if you let it linger there in your heart over time, it produces bitterness, which produces the flesh ruling over the spirit. Then believers get divided and the church is broken. Great grace, global missions, genuine family. Are you a person of peace? Really, I, I, if, if I, you were to ask your family, hey, am I somebody who tends to solve problems or create them? Am I a peacemaker or a troublemaker? Do you harbor unforgiveness in your heart? These are simple questions. Is there somebody 
you know, that in, in, in our church family, and you're, that you know, you, you, you're, you harbor bitterness with them and you've not dealt with it. Uh, maybe you need to just release it individually. Maybe you need to go to that. I don't know. But I will tell you, if you hang on to that offense, it will hurt our church. It will. Do you see the need for you personally, if you're a child of God here this morning, to be a peacemaker? I believe God requires and expects his children to cooperate together in the local church. And the only way that's going to happen is when you get a bunch of people who are filled and led by grace that produces peace. You know, I thought about, um, I thought about naming this message the peacemaker. <laughs> and of course, if you know anything about our church, our church, I, I knew and I said, if I make that title... This morning, I know what most all of you guys are going to think. Not just the guys, probably half the women in here too. Um, It's called a Colt 1911, right? Anybody got a Colt 1911 that we can raise your hand so we can come steal it from your house? Um, What? What? You know, what a weapon! If you're not, if you're watching, I'm talking. I'm referring to a a gun. I don't know if that's legal to say on on social media platforms. You know, pew pews. That's what I've often been called. Pew pew. Every man who has a gun collection, who likes guns, I don't, is there, can you have too many 1911s? I don't think you could have too many. You know, and and I, I thought this week, as I was thinking about this whole issue of peacemaker, I thought, you know, unfortunately, many people, when they think of being a peacemaker, that's what they think of, you know, pull out your gun and shoot someone. You, it, it, symbolically, all right, YouTube or whoever's listening, that we want to fire a, a weapon, and yet I thought about that and I did a little research and I don't know, I, I was surprised that there was more disagreement on this. So some of you guys who are far more gun historians than I am can fill me in later, not after church this morning, please, but tonight or Wednesday. You know, maybe you have a better answer. I, I don't know. I found, it was interesting. I said, why did this gun become known as the peacemaker? There were guns before the, the 1911, the, the Colt 1911, you know, guns after. What was it about that particular gun? And as I studied it, I found that it's, revolutionary in the way that it functioned, that it was the first gun that left using a cap and powder and went to a, a metal jacket on the thing, so you just put the bullet in there and, and you were able to replace them and write it much, much quicker, which made it a far more effective weapon, which meant if, if you had one of those guns, you could hold down the piece. You could make the piece. It was a peacemaker. Somebody else had one of the older type of guns and you had a 1911. They were in trouble. But the design was so enduring and it was made in like the late, mid to late 1800s, like 1880s, 1870s, somewhere in there. I don't know. Some of you gun guys know. But that gun is still valued to this very day. Matter of fact, I was thinking about it. Uh, uh, several famous people valued this weapon. And uh, one of my favorite people of history, I, I got a great picture for you here. You all know who that is, right? How many are? Who, somebody tell me who that is. The, at least one guy. I don't know who the other guy is. Who is that? Yeah, General Patton. Yeah. You know, and you can see on his side, he liked to carry with him his Colt 1911 peacemaker. I like the way General Patton made peace, don't you? That's the Germans at Bastogne. <laughs> but for us as odd Baptists this morning, our peacemaker is not found in weapons of man, but is found in the power of grace.
be a person of grace. Lord, thank you for the teaching of your word this morning. Thank you for the patience of your people if they've listened today. Uh, Lord, I know that you spoke with me a, a lot while I was gone in regards to this area. And Lord, I felt, uh, God, I wanted to share with the church family what I feel in my spirit as we'd be more, uh, we'd watch and be aware of Satan's working amongst us. Lord, I'm so thankful for the things that uh, you have done through us, through this local church here. And God, I pray that each of us here this morning would evaluate whether we're a peacemaker, maybe inside of our marriage, our family, maybe our career place, whatever it is. Are you a person of peace? God, I pray if there's one watching today or here today that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, they've never experienced great grace in receiving the free gift of eternal life that the Lord is simply offering. My dear friend, if that's you this morning, if you don't know if you were to die, you're on your way to heaven, can I just beg you, let you know that God loves you so very much that he died for you and rose again and he's offering you this gift of forgiveness, this gift of eternal life. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Would you trust him today as your savior? Trust in his promise. Holy Spirit of God, I pray for each of our odd Baptists that are here this morning or listening online. God, help us to be people of peace. Lord, as we enter into 2023, Lord, I know uh, that there'll more than likely be some adversity ahead, but God, I'm believing that great things are going to be done through your power and your strength. God, help us to be people uh, who share and spread your grace, both to a world in need and also inside our church family. Have your will and way in this invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand with me as Brother Joe leads us in a verse?